You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. NFL playoffs are here. Sign up with my bookie. Use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. But anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Hopping on this Tuesday night, the night after the national championship game where Georgia defeats Alabama for their first national championship since 1980. Joining me tonight is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at uh, readingreaction.com on YouTube at Read and Reaction, his Twitter account at Will Miles SEC. Well, I think we can be a little sad college football season's over. Uh, and even more, um, I don't know if sad is the right word. I'm not necessarily sad, Georgia <laughs> broke their uh, national championship year streak, but uh, certainly not happy about it. But uh, there we go. Um, as this college football 2021 season. Comes to a close, the team from Athens is hoisting the trophy at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to root against them, right? I mean, that's sort of yeah. been been fun, and it's good to sort of, you know, needle your friends who might be Georgia fans. And, you know, Robbie Stelton pulls somebody you and I both know and sort of interact with on Twitter. And I just felt good for him yesterday. You know, he's been waiting for this his entire life and, and finally gets to experience it. At the same time, um, I wish he never had. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in some capacity, you sit there and go, okay, well, now the clock's starting to run on Florida as one of the big dogs in the East who hasn't yeah. gotten the job done in a while. You know, it's been 13 years. So, um, you know, they don't come around that often. And so I think Alabama has sort of skewed the idea that right. these championships come around all the time. They don't. It turns out that, you know, if you're in the SEC, they come around a lot more often than any of the other conferences. But they don't come around that often. And so, you know, if Billy Napier is able to build this program into some into something that can compete with Georgia and compete with Alabama and and build us up into that sort of entity, I hope we all appreciate it. Like, I hope that the – sort of being out in the wilderness the last few years in the in the you know the poor years with Mullen and and Muschamp and McElwain is you know the years where you go four and seven or four and eight or six and seven you know that you, that you appreciate then when you have the opportunity to win these games and that's that I think is the thing that from the people I know who are reasonable Georgia fans is uh, sort of what I felt yesterday is it was just an appreciation for for the journey and the moment and all that sort of stuff and so hopefully um, you know we appreciate the climb and then if if Napier can get us there then we'll appreciate the championship as well when it comes because you know there's been three at, at the University of Florida which obviously is is more than they got at Georgia but. Uh, you know, they're catching up to us now, so it's time to put the pedal to the metal. And uh, Napier, it's time to build. Well, you said the climb, and look, man, that's exactly what it is. We're staring that mountain right in the face. You know, we got to play. We got to play that team every year. And look, when you and then I said this on Twitter, when you recruit as well as Georgia has, you know, you don't recruit like that and not eventually win one. <laughs> I mean, the the path was there. We've we, we've discussed that angle of it for for years now. And look, when you especially when you've been knocking on the door uh, like Georgia has the last few seasons now, 
you recruit at that level, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to eventually get one. And, you know, some of it comes, and I've heard, of course, you know, pl- plenty of times, well, you know, if Alabama players don't get hurt, you know, Georgia probably doesn't win that game. Okay, maybe, probably so. But, you know, they put themselves in position to take advantage of that uh, of that spot. And, look, that's what we – you know, get, get there and let the chips fall where they may. Where they may, you know, that's exactly you – know, if Florida was the one hoisting, hoisting the trophy last night in that same exact scenario – you know, I think we'd uh, we'd all be fine with it, no matter how it happens. So, uh, uh, like I said, we got to we got to climb that mountain. It's staring us right in the face. That that that's the biggest thing uh, right now. Will is you know, this team's coming off of a national championship that Florida has to play every year. Uh, so, you know, we, we've discussed how big this game is year in and year out. It's only um, the 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 hatred, the vitriol in this rivalry is only kind of ramped up in the last few years as both teams were top 10 teams and, and fighting for it and you kind of going back and forth uh, with some close games and Florida finally winning in 2020. Uh, but now with that team hoisting the trophy, I mean, you know what's in front of you. And it, right now it should motivate everybody to do with this Florida program. It should motivate every single person involved you know, to get to that level because you know what it's going to take. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the reality is, is that the butt kicking by Georgia and then things falling apart against South Carolina probably convinced the people who hadn't been convinced yet that it was time for some major changes within the Florida program, right? And that's one of the reasons why Billy Napier's here. It's one of the things he heard about that he was negotiating in that entire sort of, you know, week where it was a question, you know, he's the lead candidate. Everybody was hearing that he was the guy, but they were still, they were still going back and forth. And, you know, I think the buy-in from the administration and the buy-in from the program as a whole was something something that he was looking for. And look, I mean, you know, we can sit here and talk about Alabama being the big dog in the SEC, and that's true. But the SEC's got the last three years has won a national championship, and it's been three different teams. So it's not as though Alabama has a stranglehold. Now, I do think watching we'll that game last night. Too, Will. We'll get into it later. We're just the theme of this episode in the rankings. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's getting tougher. It's getting harder. Well, and I do think that watching that game last night versus the two playoff games – makes you go, huh, two and six in the SEC, we might have won the ACC. <laughs> like, you just sort of sit there. Like, there was no, there was zero doubt that Georgia was better than Michigan and that Alabama was better than Cincinnati. And last night, that game could have gone either way. Now, it happens to go Georgia's way. Stetson Bennett makes some big plays. Alabama has the big turn- turnovers in this one, whereas in the SEC championship game, Georgia had the big turnovers. And so Georgia ends up pulling it out. But those were the two best teams in the country, no mm-hmm. doubt. They're both in Florida's conference. We have a measuring stick, and that's what Napier's going to have to build against. And it's exciting that when you win, you're going to earn it. But it's also sort of a little bit – you look at that and go, oh, that's, pre- that's a pretty tall mountain we got to climb there. Um, but you wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want to win the Pac-12 right. and get left out of the playoffs and then have to, like, you know, argue that my team's a little bit better. I just – you know, let's win the SEC – and and be the big dog in the SEC and, and return back to what Florida fans are used to. And I think that's sort of what I take out of last night is those are the two best teams in the country, and it's not close. And so, you know, if you want to be there, you're going to have to compete with those guys year in, year out, and that means you're going to have to compete with them on the recruiting trail as well as on the field, and it sounds like Napier's got a plan to do that. Well, man, you read my mind. Compete with them on the recruiting trail. Before we move on for the rest of this episode, that has to be mentioned. I mentioned and if any everybody watching last night heard it, they saw it. So and so, oh yeah, from the state of Florida making a play. Georgia. Who's going to run down the list? Will James Cook, Kenny McIntosh, Latavius Brinley, Jalen Carter. Either made plays last night or contributors this season for Georgia. Same for Bama. Trey Sanders, Jacory Brooks, Jordan Battle, Treshawn Bolden, Dallas Turner, Evan Neal, Ajay Hall. Tim Smith contributor this season. And we know going back to last year, Christian Leary, Terry and Arnold in uh, and that recruiting. I mean, well, that's where it goes. And, you know, I was on Bill King's show this morning. He's like, you know, Dave, what's it going to take for Florida to be back on that stage when you're sitting there watching Georgia and Alabama? That's exactly where I started. That's like, I mean, look, it's not a surprise. It's not breaking news. We've, we've hit this over and over again, but it was on this play. It was in the spotlight for everybody across the nation to see, hey, here's a state of Florida kid right here. Here's another state of Florida kid right here. And they're making plays for both these teams. Now, look, you understand it more for Alabama. They're, they're home base recruiting in the state of Alabama. That's not going to win them championship. Georgia, you can recruit the state of Georgia and have a lot of success. Alabama can't do that, Alabama. They have to go to the state of Florida. You know, but Georgia, 
find a difference maker. James Cook out of the state of Florida. Now we all know how that recruitment could have went either way uh, anyway, just because of Dalvin Cook's connection of, uh, of FSU. So maybe Florida doesn't get him anyway, but you'd like to be in a better position and him just not go to Georgia. He didn't go to, he didn't follow Dalvin to FSU. So of course, of course he was shopping around and, and going to any other school, but you looked at that game, you watched that game, you heard that game last night and you know, one aspect that Florida has to fix with all those names I just listed that you'd hope some of those guys would be in orange and blue. Dan Mullen couldn't take advantage of it by beating FSU, by beating Miami, winning double-digit games early in his career. You hope that changes now. You really know that's going to be a focus, a feature of Billy Napier's recruiting going forward. Yeah, well, hopefully he embraces the truth, and the truth is is that winning on the field – doesn't do anything to help recruiting, at least not much at all, that that is a sales position and that sales position needs, you know, I almost think of it as like a company where you've got research and development, you've got sales and research and development is important for building the products you're going to sell. But at some point you got to have somebody out there to sell it. If you take the technical guy and say, go sell stuff, you're going to end up with some major problems. And that's what Florida tried to do. They tried to take the R and D guy and say, you know, the guy who's drawing up the plays and wants to do the scheming and things like that and said, Hey, go, go sell our product. And the reality is, is that Dan Mullen just wasn't a salesman and didn't have his heart in it and didn't want to do it. I mean, the fact that, you know, the story that comes out after Etienne or ETN ends up committing to Florida where he didn't know Knox's phone number. And, and when they called up, when they finally got him in contact, it's like, Oh, we didn't think you were interested. It's like, wait a minute. What? Like he, he's like 183rd ranked player in the country. Like maybe we ought to at least like give the guy a text message or something, but uh, you know, and that, and that's an organizational thing. I don't know that that's necessarily a, um, and that I think was what we sort of heard the entire time through the era is that things tended to be a little bit disorganized. And so things fell through the cracks and when they fell through the cracks, you missed on some guys and things don't fall through the cracks in Georgia. Things don't fall through the cracks in Tuscaloosa. I mean, you know, they had the defensive coordinator asking whether Saban um, chews out his assistant still or whether he's mellowed out. And the guy sort of gave a big grin and was like, oh, no, it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I guarantee it's the same thing in the recruiting offices, right? Like if somebody's not getting a phone call, if somebody's not getting a text message, if somebody's not getting contacted the way they're supposed to, they're going to hear about it from Saban. And I think that's sort of um, – the reality is, is that the organizational structure that's being put in place at Florida hopefully mimics that and enables that to never be an excuse because you're right. There's more talent in this state than anywhere else. And so if you can just keep home base home, you're going to have a very, very good team. And, you know, a lot of the guys in Alabama, a lot of guys in Georgia are from the state of Florida. And if Florida could have kept those guys home, especially like you mentioned, with not only are Florida State and Miami down, and with Cristobal, we'll see, but Diaz and Taggart and Norvell were not lighting the world on fire from a sales perspective and a recruiting mm. perspective. So you had an advantage there, whether you still do with Cristobal is yet to be seen, but you had an advantage, weren't able to take advantage of it. And obviously Dabo and, and Kirby and, and Saban all came down and raided the closet and you're going to have to stop that spigot from Tuscaloosa. Now it's more difficult, right? Now you got a bunch of high school players who are watching their friends play for Alabama. And mm-hmm. when there's an opportunity for Saban to come down, you know, there are going to be people singing his praises. That's one of the reasons why the, the commitment of Kamari Wilson from IMG is so important, right? Yep. It's not necessarily that you just break the quote unquote IMG purse, IMG curse. It's that, Wilson is now going to be able to go back and talk to people at IMG for the next three years about how things operate in Gainesville. And if Napier is true to his word in terms of building relationships and making sure that the players know that he cares about them and making them better, then Wilson's going to go back and, and recruit a bunch of the people there at IMG and bring them in. And so building that pipeline, I think, is a big part of it. And yeah, absolutely. If Napier doesn't keep people home in the state of Florida, he's not going to be here for very long. In fact, he pretty much said that at his opening press conference. Yep. So we'll go find somebody else. If I can't get the job done, I understand this is a talent acquisition business. And so um, music to everybody's ears, but obviously the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely, absolutely. So there we go. We'll put the bow on the 2021 season right there. But that was the big look I wanted to give into, those state of Florida guys uh, that were making plays for both schools last night, something that has to change moving forward in recruiting for the University of Florida. All right, so before we move forward, everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube, or if not, if you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform, go leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts really helps us out here on Gator Breakdown. So, uh, Will, one more on-field hire for the Gators. This one pretty much expected. Not much of a surprise here, but Rob Sell, 
He will join the staff as the Gators' offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. You did hear that, right? Did say offensive coordinator. I know a lot of people were messaging me about this today. Hey, I thought Billy Napier was going to be offensive coordinator. He is. This is offensive coordinator in a title. You know, this will be coming up with the game plan during the week. Billy Napier meant it. Billy Napier meant when he said he's going to be the play caller. That did not change from the opening press conference uh, there under Billy Napier. So Billy Napier will be the play caller, but Rob Sell is the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. Of course, one of two offensive line coaches uh, with Darnell Stapleton uh, being the other as well. So that was something else, of course, Billy Napier said in his opening press conference. We're going to have two offensive line coaches. So here you go, Rob Sell, offensive coordinator and the other offensive line coach. Heads to Gainesville after serving as the New York Giants offensive line coach this past season. That was his only season there. 14-year collegiate coaching veteran. Sell spent three seasons at Louisiana with Billy Napier from 2018 to 2020 as the Raging Cajuns offensive coordinator and offensive line coach under Napier. Same scenario. He was the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach at Louisiana, but Billy Napier was the one calling plays. In 2020, the Raging Cajuns offense ranked third in the Sun Belt Conference in points per game with 33.6, fifth in yards per game, 421.5, third in yards per play, 6.3, fourth in rushing yards per game, 213. They opened that year by beating Iowa State. In 2019, sales offensive set, offense set numerous school records, including total yards, 6,918, touchdowns with 69, rushing yards, 3,604, Rushing touchdowns, 42, and passing touchdowns, 27. That was numerous school records there at Louisiana. In his first season, 2018, coaching Louisiana, the offense, three players rushed for more than 700 yards each. Trey Regas logged 1,149 yards and nine touchdowns. Elijah Mitchell, which is in the NFL, making plays for the 49ers, led the Sun Belt with 16 touchdowns, ran for 985 yards, basically two 1,000-yard backs there in his first season at Louisiana, and Raymond Calais ran for 754 yards and seven scores in 2018. Sales will widely regarded as an excellent developer of offensive line talent, produced two NFL draft picks while at Louisiana, getting Robert Hunt drafted in the second round of 2020 and Kevin Dotson drafted in the fourth round in the same year. There are two 2020 NFL draft picks there, one in the second round from Louisiana, Robert Hunt. Current Louisiana tackle Max Mitchell spent three years under sale in Lafayette, also expected to become an NFL draft pick, as well as the name that's floating around out there in the transfer portal, Osiris Torrance, who is already on the NFL draft boards, but he's going to play one more season of college ball. Does he want to be coached by Sell again? Hopefully so. Prior to Louisiana, Sell was the offensive line coach, running game coordinator at Arizona State, also with Billy Napier in 2017. Sun Devils averaged 31.9 points, so basically 32 points that year, 427.6 total yards, and 180 rushing yards a game. 2016, he served as offensive line coach at Louisiana Monroe. Prior to that, offensive line coach at Georgia in 2015. Georgia averaged 375 yards a game. That was Mark Ricks last year. The offensive line led by all-SEC first-team tackle John Theus, helped the team rush for more than 190 rushing yards per game. Before that, spent three seasons at McNeese State, serving as offensive line coach for the Cowboys. Uh, from 2007 to 2011, this is where it kind of started here with Billy Napier in the connection. Gained his first collegiate experience as a strength and conditioning assistant and offensive analyst at Alabama. Began his coaching career at Catholic High Point. New Roads, Louisiana in 2006. Played at LSU. So there you go. There's your bio on Rob Sell. Will, I do like the aspect putting two, why in that short stint, three years there at Louisiana, putting two players in the NFL draft, one drafting in the second round. Pretty good replacement here. And I mean, not not to you know devalue Rob Sell here, but you know, replacing the, uh, one um John Hevesy there. So an upgrade, you, you certainly hope so by looking at this bio from him. Yeah, there are a few things that I like about this. One is that he's 42 years old, sort of goes with the general gist of the staff, right? Young and energetic, going to be out there, heavy, heavy recruiting. 
um, beyond just the the college experience and the NFL experience. The other thing that I hadn't really thought of until I started looking at his overall resume is he came to LSU as an offensive lineman to play under Jerry DiNardo. And then DiNardo got replaced by Saban, and he was there till 2002, and he was a three-year starter at Garden Center under Saban as Saban built that program there at LSU into the national championship um, contender when they won in 2003. And then you think about it, he gets hired as a strength and condi- conditioning assistant and the offensive analyst at Alabama in 2007 under Saban. He's there from 2007 to 2011. And so this guy has seen Nick Saban build two programs into national championship contenders and then has sort of bounced around with Napier and, and without Napier in certain areas um, and, and has been highly regarded the entire time. But that's the thing I sort of point back to is, you know, Napier comes in talking about a process. Napier comes in about, you know, what did I learn from my time sitting there as an analyst with Saban? Well, I guarantee you he was sitting there talking about the same things with Rob Sale when they were both analysts there at Alabama. But Sale even has the experience with Saban before Saban was really Saban. Because in 2007, when Saban came to Alabama, the recruiting was probably pretty easy because Nick Saban had quite a reputation at that point. You know, nobody knew that he was going to be who he is now when he went from Michigan State to LSU. And Rob Sale got a front row seat to seeing how he built that program and the processes that were put in place and the emphasis that he put on the offensive line and all those sorts of things. So it's an exciting thing that you've got. It's not just that he's got Alabama ties. It's that he's sort of shared in the building of the programs under Nick Saban, and that's exactly what Florida needs, is we need we need people who can help build the program back to where it needs to be, and Sale should be a big part of that. And like you mentioned, you've got Darnell Stapleton there on the offensive line. Now you've got Rob Sale on the offensive line as well. I like the idea of the two offensive line coaches to make sure that those guys get as much coaching as they possibly can, um, if for no other reason because y- – one of the shortcomings for Florida over really the past decade has been that there's maybe five, six, seven offensive linemen that they can trust at any given time during a season. We really need to get to a place where there's eight, nine, ten, where you can rotate people in. And when somebody makes a mistake, you've got somebody who's close behind them and nipping at their heels so that you can pull them off the field and then put somebody out there for a little while to make sure that people are more disciplined when 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 things start to go a little bit bad. So I, I suspect that sales is going to be able to contribute in a lot of different ways, but uh, you know, again, we, we won't really know until this stuff all comes together because um, you know, I, I think individually Florida had some pretty good football coaches last year, but clearly the culture and the ability of all of them to get along was an issue. And so um, hopefully the long history between guys like sale and Napier is going to make it a much more pleasant working environment for everybody involved. Yeah, they spent the 2011 season together in Alabama and then kind of went their separate ways. So, you know, the connection there. And then, of course, at Louisiana together. So definitely a history there. Billy Napier trusting. Although this was one that was kind of identified from the get-go uh, when Billy Napier was named head coach. Uh, who's going to fill this staff out? Rob Sell's name was brought up very early uh, in the process here. So, Will, that will wrap up the offensive side of the coaching staff here uh, for the Gators under Billy Napier. Head coach, quarterback, you know, quarterback coach, basically Billy Napier there. Running backs, Jabbar Jaluk, who I was just mentioned. Offensive coordinator, offensive line, Rob Sell. Offensive line again, Darnell Stapleton. Wide receivers, Kerry uh, Colbert. And then tight ends, William Piegler there from Mississippi State. Oh, kind of funny there, Will, that the um, with that offensive staff there, if you go back – Bigler was announced as um, – oh, what's the site? Uh, the coaching site there uh, where he was announced as the running back coach of the year, football scoop. Football scoop, running back coach of the year <laughs> for, for Michigan State. He's come here as the tight end coach, uh, but also joins uh, Jabbar Jaluk, who also was running back coach of the year in 2019. So Florida has two running back coach of the year from football scoop. Uh, on their staff, Piegler switches positions to tight end there. So, so this just lets you know the you know well roundedness of this staff there, and then what the, a lot of their peers think about them. Of uh, look, Billy Napier's getting. If you listen to Josh Payton, his podcast, you know he's a behind the scenes. Uh, Billy Napier's getting a lot of credit here for the staff he's putting together uh, among SEC peers and SEC coaches uh, right now. So you know, still of course to finish it out on the defensive side, and we'll see where where, where that goes. Uh, got coming up, but all, offensive staff is complete. Will, yeah, let's go score some points, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the, the the two offensive line coaches. I, you know, we know that Napier has a preference for running the ball. You've got 
um, you know, guys who are relatively unproven in terms of, you know, you've got Naquan Wright who spent quite a bit of time out there, but then you've got Lingard and Demarcus Bowman, and now you've got ETN with the signing there. Um, and so there's some work to do in terms of establishing that running game, but we know that's what Napier's going to want to do. And so a big part of that is going to be having guys who can develop the guys who are already on the roster. Because, look, I mean, guys like Michael Tarquin and Kingsley Guacquin and and Ethan White, those guys are all talented enough to play in the SEC. The question is, can you get enough of those guys and can you get them disciplined to where when you have an opportunity to go on the road and win a game against Kentucky, you don't have nine false starts? And, you know, those sorts of little details that just killed Florida all year long are things that you're going to have to solve. And so that's the first thing I'd be looking for with the staff is from a um, from a discipline perspective. Are the stupid penalties going away? Mm -hmm. Are you know, are they being efficient, staying ahead of schedule? Are, are there missed assignments or have those gone away? Those sorts of things, things that are mental errors like, you know, my my coaches always used to tell me that they'll they'll live with the physical errors, that there are times where you just get beat. But from the standpoint of like, have you prepared yourself mentally? Have you eliminated the mental errors? That's always the thing that drives coaches crazy. And, uh, you know, that was, I think, what drove Florida fans crazy this year was all the mental errors. So um, even if these guys are just a different voice in the room and can sort of turn that around, I mean, I think you saw that in 2017. A lot of the same types of mental errors that we saw last year in 2018 went away when Dan Mullen came in, got buy-in, and was able to turn things around pretty quickly. And I suspect that that's the expectation for Napier and the staff is that they're going to be able to take the talent that they have at Florida because there's more talent at Florida than there was at Louisiana. And so you know they should be able to take that talent, mold it, and get it to a place where at least Florida's competitive um, against the big boys in the SEC and then more than competitive when they're t facing teams like Missouri and South Carolina and Kentucky. All right, and we'll see what the defensive staff holds. Carl Scott is still the other name out there, of course, to add to this defensive staff, possibly. And there's no word out there that Bama and Saban may be interested uh, with his services as well. So we'll see where that goes as well. Then Eric Henderson still the name out there for defensive line, but, of course, he's coaching for the Rams. The Rams are in a playoff push right now. And, you know, we'll probably have to wait till uh, that stops before we hear any more on Henderson. And um, – Got plenty more coming up in this episode of Gators Breakdowns. So quick news, of course, and then also the early rankings coming out for 2022. But speaking of playoffs, it's a moment you've all, or most of you, a lot of you out there, if you're in the betting world, have been waiting on. It's the NFL playoffs. They're here. And with my bookie, you can take home your biggest wins of the season thanks to their double deposit bonus. It's easy. Sign up with my bookie. Use promo code Gators. Make your first deposit. And bang, double money instantly into your account up to $1,000. Now that you're loaded up and ready to go, it's time to place your bets with no regrets and get your wins when it matters most. If you're torn about where to place your first bet, here we go. Push you in the right direction. Before the playoffs kick off, wager on your pick to take home Super Bowl, take home the winner of Super Bowl 56. Packers, big favorites, but you can, you know, the Buccaneers out there, don't count them out. Field's wide open this year. So head to my bookie. Back your team all the way this postseason. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code Gators. Head to mybookie.ag. Place your bets. Get ready for the unmatched intensity of NFL playoff football. Bet on anything, anywhere, anytime at my bookie. Uh, well, we were wondering uh, as we go through a couple news notes here before we get into these way too early rankings. Um, we thought these would be slim chances, of course, but it has come out. Kyrie Elam, Damian Pierce, uh, declare for the NFL. They will be leaving Florida. And, um, look, two guys that probably deserved a bit more <laughs> than what they were, uh, you know, had to deal with these last couple of years at, at Florida, of course, you know, Elam and the defensive side of the ball and, no really fault of his uh, for some of those performances, a lot of those performances that we saw from this defense the last couple of years and just nowhere near uh, the type of performance we expect uh, for, for, for Florida there and that DBU moniker gets thrown around. Well, you know, it wouldn't really do to, to Elam not performing. And even this year, you know, injured, banged up, didn't really get to play every year or play every game uh, in, in his final season. But, uh, you know, Feel bad for a player like him who had to go through uh, that kind of defensive scheme that uh, wasn't really able to. Look. I mean, he had to wonder if he was gonna ever, ever going to have some safety help, uh, or you know, and uh, just 
or whether he's going to be asked to blitz from Jacksonville at times uh, there with, with, with this defensive staff there. So, yeah, hopefully for, for, for him out there, you know, Mel Kuyper has got him as the fifth best cornerback uh, going into the NFL draft. So we'll see where that goes. You know, there's some talk maybe that this season maybe ruined his draft stock. Not, might kind of sway him to come back, uh, but still on that late first round, second round grade uh, right now for Kyrie Elam. Going to go make that money in the NFL. And then Damian Pierce, I mean, Will, we've talked about him all season, and it's kind of what we hope for him uh, this season. 100 carries, but didn't get used anywhere near uh, like he should have been used. Should have been his swan song. Should have been uh, used a whole lot more to help a struggling offense. He was one bright spot that just kept producing on a consistent level. Uh, just didn't get the ball enough. Uh, but Gator through and through, we'll all remember the – um, in, in a in a down season, the the big run with his helmet pops off versus FSU and showing the the heart and determination there of uh, and putting it all together uh, in um, you know his final home game in the swamp. Uh, but you know, wish this season would have turned out better for somebody like him on the stat sheet, and of course, wins and losses uh, there for, for for Damian Pierce. So I would love to see somebody like him in this Billy Napier offense with the way they run the ball. I was hoping holding out that slim slim sliver of hope that he'd come in and uh, put his. Uh, uh, put his head down in this type of offense, but can't blame him whatsoever. Uh, and joining Malik Davis in the running back room as well as declaring and going to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that Pierce makes a ton of sense in terms yeah. of him him going pro for a lot of different reasons. One is that he's been an efficient runner when he's been at Florida, so he's averaged 5.5 yards per rush, but he hasn't put a lot of miles on the tires, so he's only had 329 carries in the four years. Now, obviously, I think that's been a frustration for Florida fans, but in terms of for for Pierce, I think that's actually probably a good thing when it comes to coming into the league. The other thing is running backs rarely get drafted high unless they're like Adrian Peterson you know, the, or Ezekiel Elliott. Those are the guys who get drafted in the first round. Most of the time, you're going to get drafted somewhere in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. And so unless you come back and prove that you're a special talent, you're not really going to improve your draft stock all that much. You may as well get in the league and then show that you can do it at the NFL level in that second contract is where you make the most money. Elam does surprise me a little bit. It doesn't surprise me that he's leaving because that's sort of been expected since last offseason. I, I think what sort of surprised me is he was hurt this year, and so he couldn't really properly show what he could do after that Alabama game. I think it was a deep pass that he sort of injured his hip or some, or, his, or his knee when he jumped after something there, made the, made the pass break up, but then was injured after that. Um, you know, coming back would have given him an opportunity to improve his draft stock um, just because corners do go high. And if you're an elite cornerback, you can be like a top 10 draft pick. And he would have had the opportunity to do that. Now, you know, the other, the, the, I guess the other side of that injury is that it does then put in the forefront of a player's mind that, hey, if you come back and you suffer a more serious injury, that can push you out of the league completely. So I understand how an injury would, would push you maybe one way or the other. But I was hoping he'd come back just because having Marshall on one side and Elam on the other with Kamari Wilson helping out there at the yeah. safety with, with, you know, Trevez Johnson and, and Rashad Torrance would, would have been a pretty good defensive back uh, setup. But I think Florida is going to be okay at defensive back anyway. They're relatively deep there. And so Elam leaving, I think, is a blow, but not a blow that they can't. Um, this isn't like an elite offensive lineman leaving. If that if they had an elite offensive lineman and he was leaving, I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, how do we set up the name, image, and likeness to make sure this guy stays? But uh, <laughs> but in this case, you know, you wish Elon best of luck in the NFL. I think he's going to do a good job there. Um, certainly would have wished to have a healthier season this year to show his wares so he could have good draft stock. But uh, like you said, probably into the first round, early second round, which is still life-changing money. And so, you know, I can't hold it against him for doing that. At the end of the day, the difference between you know the 10th pick and the 40th pick is a lot in terms of money, but it's still millions of dollars. And so if you told me you're going to give me a couple of million bucks and I could always come back and finish my degree at Florida later, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So, yep. you know, like I said, best of luck to him and, uh, and hopefully goes out there and reps Florida pretty well. All right, Will, and then the big news that you hit on a good bit after it happened on Saturday, Gators, Trevor ETN, running back commit from the state of Louisiana, commits to the Gators right before the All-American Bowl, uh, gets that event rolling with the Gators in the spotlight there. And, uh, man, a really good pickup here for the Gators at the running back position. And, um, look, Will, uh, first of all, everybody, 
either go read it, read it on Will or some read Will's website, readreaction.com, or something new he has started where some requests were coming in and Will actually just reads the article right there on YouTube. If you don't have time to stop and sit down and read, Will will read it to you right there uh, on YouTube. So Will on tape, if you don't, uh, if for lack of a better uh, term here quickly. Uh, but there we go. You know, some there was a lot of requests on Twitter. I sent it towards Will, Will's way, and looks like uh, a nice reaction there uh, from Will's readers and viewers there on YouTube. So you can go to Read Reaction uh, and, uh, on YouTube as well uh, if you want the uh, audio version. But ETN here, good all-purpose back, good runner, good threat in the passing game too, Will. Uh, and what you can see in some of the highlights out there, of course, and everybody knows these highlights are, are set up to, to show all the good stuff uh, for, for these players. But Shifty, physical runner, breaks some tackles, good speed. Uh, he's not a burner. He doesn't have that top-end speed, but he's got enough speed. I uh, really like his shiftiness, ability to stay up through contact, show some patience as well with that you know, close to 220-pound uh, frame there he has and has some st- has some size to withstand you know hit after hit here. Yeah, the, so Bill Barnwell a few years ago came up with something called the speed score, and the speed score is basically a ratio of a player's 40 time to his weight. And so when you say someone's not a burner and they're 220 pounds, that's less important than when you say someone's not a burner and they're 190 pounds. (laughs) And the reason being is that you have to be a burner when you're 190 pounds because you're not going to be able to shake off the tackles. And if you go look at Florida's profile, the profiles of the guys they've got in that running back room, Naquan Wright is below 200 pounds. Lingard is below 200 pounds. Bowman, at least when he came out, was under 200 pounds. And so this is a different kind of back and a complementary back um, compared to the guys that they already have back there on the roster. And, you know, so you think about the difference between Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. I think that's kind of what you're seeing here with a, with ETN is he's going to be a uh, – He's going to be a change of pace compared to the guys that they have back there. And that doesn't mean that DeMarcus Bowman or Lorenzo Lingard aren't going to be the lead backs, but it does mean that you're going to have a different kind of back. And, you know, we saw it last year with Damian Pierce being able to get in the end zone, what, 13, 14 times. I think ETN is that kind of guy who you're going to be able to rely on him to get that yard when you need that yard. Whereas if you've got someone who's a little bit lighter, who's, who's, absolutely better at putting their foot in the ground and making a shift or, or getting to top speed quicker. Um, but but he's going to be able to get you those tough yards down the red zone, and and certainly Florida's going to need that. All right, there. And, of course, transfer portal. Keep looking out for Montreal Johnson to transfer from Louisiana at the running back position as well. Uh, something we'll keep an eye on here uh, this week, because I would expect that announcement sometime this week, unless they just decide to drag it out and make their decision uh, later on. Uh, they're the same for Osiris Torrance there. Of uh, I would expect those guys to make the decision soon so they can join in for spring ball somewhere. But, uh, look, if it's ultimately going to be Florida, they don't necessarily have to go through the system of, with Billy Napier. They know the system already. So, of course, uh, you know, you'd love for them to be in there with the teammates and stuff. But uh, they may, may take their time here uh, as those guys are – you know, making all these visits and getting all kind of offers there uh, from – I mean, you go look at transfer rankings, Will, and I think uh, Torrance uh, – man, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I, thinking off the top of my head, was it the, the fourth overall transfer in the in the portal? Maybe, I think. Um, shoot, I, I think that's the case there. So, I mean, uh, that big, big – you know, everybody is taking notice. All SEC schools are taking notice, and the LSU wants to get into the mix there. Miami wants to get into the mix there, uh, but I do believe uh, he's a. Uh, did you pull it up there, Will? I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying to pull it up, but uh, yeah. so yeah. To- I mean, Torrance is pretty high up there, right? When you think about uh, when you think about, I mean, he's got offers from I think Alabama, and uh, you know the the big boys. This this is yeah. one of those things where they're sitting there going, oh well, you know. Um, you know, he's at Louisiana and, and, you know, who really cares about Louisiana? No, this is something where, um, you know, Osiris, I mean, heck, even Cameron Waits, who transferred to Florida and wasn't ranked at all. They've now got him as a four star as a transfer yeah. and hadn't even really played there. So I think it's, uh, you know, Louisiana had some good guys there. And obviously some of that was tied to the coaches. But I think a big part of it is just that, uh, you know, they hit on some guys and, and Napier hit on them. And that's one of the reasons why they were able to be so good on the ground. And, uh, you know, but Torrance is is the best player out of all of them who's in the uh, who's in the transfer portal. And certainly hopefully he's my bad. Up, I, went, uh, I went way over. He, he's 16th, though. So there we go. 
Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad you could find it because I'm just yes. scrolling here and couldn't find it <laughs> yeah. at all. Give me a second to find it. 92 grade there for him. Uh, uh, I'm uh, still uh, out of practice. I know how to do all the recruiting for high school, but when it comes to the transfer <laughs> portal, I don't have that at my fingertips. Yep. All right. So, um, but yeah, way up there in the offensive line uh, rankings there. So definitely keep out. You know, keep your eye out there for, for those transfers uh, coming up. Hopefully, decision uh, made this week. All right, so let's get to uh, kind of the theme of the episode here before we wrap up. And, of course, when, as soon as the national championship, as soon as the confetti has fallen, every website out there will is putting out their <laughs> way too early rankings, uh, of course. And, look, didn't expect a whole lot of Florida love uh, when we are looking at this because of the downtrodden 2021 season, the coaching changes, as well, but you know, all these publications out here putting out their rankings: Sporting News, ESPN, Athlon, Twenty Four Seven, CBS Sports, and uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, those are the ones I, I I went and looked up just to see where they had Florida ranked, if they had Florida ranked, and their thoughts uh, if they had uh, a blurb or their thoughts uh, about Florida. So, out of all of those. The sporting news was the only one to have Florida rank going into the 2022 season. Pull it up for you. Here's their top 25 sporting news, way too early top 25. Look, I mean, year in and year out, these top four teams don't really change from the last four or five seasons. I can throw you a way too early poll from uh, rankings from all of those, and it's probably going to look very similar to this one. Alabama, number one, Ohio State, number two, Georgia, number three, Clemson, number four, Notre Dame, five. There's your top five. Texas A&M, six, Michigan, seven, Baylor, eight. Number nine is Oregon, 10, Utah. Top 10 opponent there for the Gators in the first game of the season. Wake Forest at 11, 12, they had the Kentucky Wildcats, 13, Arkansas, 14, Cincinnati, Michigan State, 15, 16, losing Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma is still up there at 16th. 17 is Iowa, 18 Oklahoma State. Ole Miss at 19, Texas at 20. Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma to go to USC, who was number 21. And your Florida Gators at number 22 in the only way too early top 25 that they are ranked in out of all these. The Gators are 22nd by Sporting News. One spot ahead of number 23, LSU, 24, Pitt, and number 25, Coastal Carolina. So, Will, a couple takeaways if you want to look at this one here. All the SEC teams, of course. (laughs) When you look at this, no surprise there either. Uh, But Georgia, number three. This is um, who was on the schedule, already scheduled for Florida in 2022. Georgia, number three. Texas A&M, number six. Utah, number 10. Kentucky, number 12. <laughs> so, uh, well, it doesn't get any easier. LSU is 23rd. You know, So, almost half of Florida's schedule right here in Sporting News Top 25. But Sporting News is the only one, Will, out of ESPN, out of Athlon, out of 24-7, Sports Illustrated, CBS Sports, that has the Florida ranked in their way too early Top 25. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think you look at – Sort of the advanced statistics in Florida was a much better team than um, than what we sort of see from a record perspective, and those are usually the teams that you see bounce back. So if you look at like the S and P five hundred, Florida's ranked thirtieth. If you look at the the FPI, they're ranked in the mid thirties somewhere as well. But they obviously have a five and seven record. The interesting team that's missing from this one, I don't see them. Is Wisconsin on there? Uh, Wisconsin is not on this one, but I do know they are in most of the other ones. Okay, because I was going to say they were they were a top ten team this year, and I don't think they're necessarily losing a ton off of that team. I think Michigan, we're going to see them take a major step back. I think seventh is probably too high for them. Oregon, I have no idea what Dan Lanning's going to do out there, so we'll see. Uh, they already were advertising their national championship coach with him in Oregon colors after that game last night. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think USC is probably a little bit low. I think uh, Lincoln Riley is going to be able to get them to go up. But I think nobody really knows what Billy Napier is going to be able to do. And I think that's sort of the th- going to be the theme of all offseason is that this is a high-variant season. And, in fact, if you go back and look at the 2018 season for Dan Mullen, that team wound up 10-3. and 3. 
but there there were a lot of moments where that season could have been seven and six. And so when you think about where people have Florida ranked, I think that's what they're seeing. I'm not quite sure why Pitt's ranked. I mean, they were only good this year because of Kenny Pickett. He's not there anymore. So uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, Utah top 10 team. As you said, Oregon is interesting with Dan Lanning taking over as a first-time head coach. I think that's pretty interesting to have that high. Well, you, you mentioned USC. I, I mean, they were awful in an awful Pac-12. Uh, but I do think Lincoln Riley is a really good head coach. Uh, look, now, look, the transfer portal is not factored in here either. Uh, so, you know, Caleb Williams not uh, factored in here yet, even though he's probably leaning there. Some people may be factoring in that as well. Uh, when, when you look at it, I mean, the, the rise of you know Kentucky and Arkansas, who were thought mid-level, maybe below the halfway mark of the SEC, Kentucky twelve, Arkansas thirteen, uh, really speaks to uh, the, the the depth of the conference right now. Uh, so, but this was the blur from Sporting News. Florida is pressing the reset button with Billy Napier, and it's worth knowing that former Gators coaches Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen hit ten wins in their first seasons in 2015 and 2018, respectively. Florida has talent. Napier should be able to mold that into an SEC East contender sooner rather than later. Quarterback Anthony Richardson is in line for a breakout season. So, well, they do go back and mention McIlwain, mention Mullen winning 10 wins, as you you kind of brought up Mullen's part there too. Uh, And I do like this part, and I'm going to assume they did not factor record in here. I don't think you should. If you're going to have a preseason or for way too early top 25. I don't think you're necessarily – to me, you should be ranking where you think the teams are, not how they'll finish, not not factoring in the schedule uh, that they play either. Uh, when, when you want to go back and kind of look at where you want to put these teams in a way too early ranking. But uh, there was uh, the Sporting News uh, blurb on why they had the Gators ranked. So, as I said, we'll know um, – no other publication out there. I'm going to pull up ESPN's uh, rankings there uh, as well so you can kind of get a gist here. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia 3 there as well. Texas A&M 4 <laughs> there uh, on ESPN. So I'm telling you, I mean, this Gator schedule, really, really tough in Billy Napier's first year. They had Michigan 5, Notre Dame 6. They have Utah 7. They have Utah firmly in the top 10. A lot of people were wondering, you know, was Utah going to be this top 10, top 15 team when they roll into the swamp? Most of these polls have them firmly into the top 10 there, of course, uh, when you start looking at the the quarterback change that they made. That really kind of changed their fortunes uh, of the season there for Utah. So, we know we'll see uh, where it goes. Cameron Rising there. I know he got injured in that Rose Bowl, but that was not a serious injury. He'll be the undisputed starter there for uh, for Utah. They had a slow start this past season. A lot of people go back and kind of look at that, but that was before the quarterback switch. Uh, but ESPN does have the Gators' first opponent of 2022 ranked 7th. ESPN, and I guess I have to say this is written by Mark Schleyball as well, but NC State at number 8 there so kind of i think maybe somewhat of a reach oklahoma state number nine michigan state 10 they have clemson at 11 i thought uh with the talent that they have and the way they ended up ended the season i know they didn't start the season all too well but 11 expected returners on offense now i know they're losing a whole lot of coaching staff here so that probably factors into it somewhat as well will uh with a 10 and 3 finale or final record there for clemson so maybe uh, yeah, I'd probably have them a bit higher just because of the recruiting profile in the ACC. Oregon 12, so keeping them you know, pretty high up even with the coaching change. Houston 13, Wake Forest 14 here from ESPN. Iowa 15, Baylor 16, Oklahoma 17, BYU 18, Cincinnati 19, Arkansas 20, Kentucky 21, USC 22. So they are ranked even with the coaching change uh, in a four and eight year in the Pac-12. Ole Miss, 23, no Matt Corral. Lane Kiffin there for another year. Wisconsin, 24, Will. So there you go. There's your Wisconsin Badgers. And here you go, Will. Throwing it in just to make it a little bit tougher. Spencer Rattler comes into Columbia, South Carolina, and that's good enough to get South Carolina ranked number 25 from ESPN. So you start combining some of these polls here, Will. You can see this Gator schedule will not – Will not, if any of these preseason indications, look, a lot of this is just perception. We, we know this is kind of talking points way, you know, eight months before they gave him play a game. As I said, 
transfer portal, not even really a factor for most of these schools just yet. We know who Florida's going after. We know the big names that are still out there in the transfer portal. These will change the rankings a bit too. But just looking, I mean, already speaking of the transfer portal, one of the biggest names there was Spencer Rattler. He's on his way to South Carolina. Put together their end of the end of the year performance. Pair that with Spencer Rattler. That's good enough to get him ranked 25th on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, so these things are always fun, right? But that's all they are is, is yeah. fun. And you know, you start. And it's looking good just at- to kind of you know get, just to get a gauge of the perception uh, of the team, especially with a coaching change, and to kind of see if anybody is willing to jump on board early. Yeah, well, it's funny because you know. Basically, when I think Oregon knew Crystal Ball was gone, those are sort of the two games where they played Utah, and Utah wins those games. I mean, who was the best team that they played other than – who was the best win that they had other than those Oregon teams? I don't want to completely dismiss the Oregon win, but, you know, you're looking at Stanford, you're looking at Arizona, you're looking at UCLA, you're looking at Arizona State. They lost to Oregon State. That's a pretty bad loss. They beat USC. USC wasn't very good. They beat Washington State. They lost to San Diego State. They lost to BYU. Now, certainly Rising was not there as they full-time started there early in the season. But I guess my point is, is that that's a little bit different than the schedule that Florida played this year. And if you and you know we penciled in the win against Missouri and and South Carolina and and uh, Florida State coming into this year, and then obviously the Florida State game ends up a win, but the other two don't. I think that's sort of the danger is there's so much stuff that goes on with all of these programs. I mean, you look at a team like Michigan State that's going to be losing uh, uh, Kenny Walker there at uh, at running back. Well, he was a huge part of what they did on the offensive side of the ball. So to have them top 10, okay, well, that's a lot of faith in in the coach there and Mel Tucker there at Michigan State that he's going to be able to sustain things when, in fact, it's really been difficult for people to sustain things at Michigan State. They've had a year where they'd win 11. They made the playoffs a few years ago and then sort of have two or three down years and then rebuild to be able to have a good year. Same thing with Michigan, right? They were able to build up to sort of the crescendo this year and beat Ohio State, but that Ohio State team then goes out and plays Utah and is able to beat them. I think Ohio State's a pretty good team. I think they're very talented, but at the same time, Michigan sort of took them behind the woodshed. And then you look at what happened to Michigan when they played Georgia, and I go, okay, it's a different level of football being played in the SEC. So I actually think that Utah game's a really good measuring stick for Florida. And when you look at the schedule, yes, Florida's schedule's difficult next year, but if they can get past Utah, they're going to be going to they're going to be playing LSU, and they may be they may be five and zero when they play LSU. They may be six and zero when they play Georgia, just because you don't know what the LSU program is going to be. It's not until that Georgia game where they play Georgia, Texas A and M, and if you believe South Carolina is going to be good, that things really get difficult. So there's there's a way where if Utah isn't quite as good as everybody thinks and sort of believes the preseason hype, I mean that game's in Gainesville. It's going to be hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those guys, you know, in the fourth quarter, if Napier says, look, we're just going to wear them down. You even saw it last night a little bit. There were no touchdowns in that in the national championship game there in the first half. It was just a field goal fest. And then finally, there were a few plays that got popped there in the second half because the defenses were getting a little bit tired. And that's going to be a factor there. So I look at it and I say, I think one of the things that we're going to have to take into effect and take into account here is schedules. And so when you look at a guy like Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina, yeah, that's absolutely that that's going to make a difference because the, because their offense has been so bad for so long. I mean, he's replacing Zeb Noland, right? So and Luke Doty. So just the expectation of a quarterback at Oklahoma versus the expectation of a quarterback at South Carolina is a little bit different. At the same time, it's not like South Carolina was running away with the games that they played. I mean, for Pete's sake, they lost by thirty points, thirty to nothing to Clemson. They lost to Tennessee 45 to 20. They lost to Kentucky 16 to 10. They lost to Georgia 40 to 13. And they lost to Missouri 31 to 28. And they beat Auburn 21 to 17, which is probably their best win. And I sit there and I go, and I guess the Florida 40 to 17, you could call that a good win, except that Florida had basically packed it in at that point. So I do think it was another reaction. I really do. That's uh, that's the thing, right? Is you sit there and go, if they only had a quarterback. And now they have a quarterback coming in, but you got to rec- you got to realize where they were from a point differential perspective. When they lost, they lost big, and when they won, they won by a few points, except for the game against Florida. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that beat Vanderbilt twenty-one to twenty. So uh, you know, I'm not going to be pulling out the uh, national championship parade, the ticker tape yet for uh, for for Beamer and, and South Carolina. I think I think he's a good coach. I think he did yeah. a pretty good job last year. Um, 
but uh, not not bouncing my kid on my knee, t- telling him about the 2021 South Carolina Gamecock team. Um, you know, ten years from now or twenty years from now. So, yeah, a lot of this. You know, Florida's probably if you're going to rank Florida, just like the Sporting News did, you had them ranked around 22. You start looking at the teams you'd put right there in that, you know, in that category. You know, like you said, a Pittsburgh, um, a Penn State, maybe Kentucky. Look, you know, Athlon has Tennessee 23rd, and I've seen Tennessee as high as, you know, 15, 16, 17 uh, in, in that range. You know, this past year, Florida wasn't a good team. Florida's – one of Florida's best performances of the year is you know, <laughs> beating Tennessee. But once again, you're probably the last good performance Florida had put on the field uh, <laughs> that, that in the 2021 season. Uh, a team like BYU, you know, who always just seems to be kind of consistent there. A team like Houston as well. You know, and so Athlon, you know, they had that next tier where they ranked Miami 26, Fresno State 27, USC 28, had LSU 29th, uh, Coastal Carolina 30th, but they did have other teams to watch. And for Florida, they said, should improve under first-year coach Billy Napier, but how high can this team climb in 2022? More consistency and production at the quarterback spot is a must. They just need to improve significantly on defense 26.8. Points per game allowed in 21. So, uh, Athlon's blurb uh, there about, you know, just some other teams to look out for. But I want to go to quickly 24 7 sports. I won't necessarily go through their rankings, very similar to kind of everybody else here uh, for their way too early. But in another 2022 storyline aspect, 24 7 sports says Florida will be the most unpredictable team in the SEC. The title is often reserved for Auburn, they say, given the Tigers' annual spells of highs and lows. But Florida under first-year head coach Billy Napier will be one of college football's most intriguing teams to watch in 2022. For starters, how the Gators fare against Utah in the season opener may have little to no bearing on the SEC opener the following weekend against Kentucky. Then, after beating USF in Week 3, the road trip to Tennessee is quite worrisome. Prepare yourself, Gator fans, for a wild and unpredictable first month before things settle down just a bit. Then the two games stretch to open. Uh, wait, the two games stretch to open as well as consecutive contests against Georgia and Texas A&M after an open week will be season defining. So as they 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 point out, Will, and looking at the schedule here just a bit, opening up with Utah and Kentucky, and then another pairing of games, Georgia and Texas A&M. Florida schedule's not easy there, but they're right. As you said, most unpredictable team, as you said, Will, you point to that Utah game, and no matter if Utah kind of lives up to this top 10, top 15 ranking, it's going to be seen as a good win on Florida's schedule. Maybe that builds up the confidence early for a team. You go play Kentucky the next week. You get those two wins right off the bat, and then everybody the, the focus is going to be right there on Florida at the beginning of the season with probably – what everybody likes kind of starting too soon of rankings and, oh, who's got the best win so far? Well, you look at Florida, and they do get that win versus Utah and, and Kentucky. You'll say, well, tell you what, the Gators have the best resume of everybody so far. And you, you'll get some crazy um, some some crazy re- reaction and feedback from that. But I do like that Florida SEC's most unpredictable team. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but I think that's all tied to Anthony Richardson. Yeah. At the end of the at the end of the day, if Richardson, there's probably comes some unpredictability out, there as well. <laughs> sure, and and some injury unpredictability as yeah, well, right? right? I mean, he's he's struggled to stay healthy and has been dynamic when he's been able to stay healthy. And so, you know, if Anthony Richardson starts eleven or twelve games this year, then I think Florida is going to be a pretty good team. If Anthony Richardson starts two games and you have Jack Miller start the rest, then you know I think Florida is probably more of a um, I mean, I think Miller's probably going to be more of a game manager than than Richardson would be, right? But Richardson's going to be the guy who might chuck one up and throw an interception for no real reason, and then he's the guy who's going to bust an 80-yard run. So the combination of those two things, I think, is one of the things that's going to bring consistency. Now, one of the things I think will bring some consistency to the team is you mentioned the blitzing the corner from Jacksonville earlier, and that is no longer here. And I know we're going to get into this later in the later in the offseason, but all of the stuff that I have read and listened to and paid attention to from Patrick Tony has me really excited to understand what's going to go on on the defensive side of the ball. And just the concepts that he's using to guard read options and RPOs and those sorts of things I think are going to be a welcome change in Gainesville. And so I think on the offensive side of the ball, yes, there's going to be a high variance 
based on the schedule, there will be some high variance. But I actually think there's going to be some consistency on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that defensive consistency is going to make it to where you're not going to sit there and go, oh, God, are we going to go out and lay an egg against South Carolina? It's going to be, no, you're going to take business. You're going to take care of business against a team you should take care, take care of business against. And so I think, I think on the offensive side of the ball, we might see a lot of variability. I think on the defensive side of the ball, we're going to see more consistency. Whether they're consistently good or consistently average or consistently bad is going to be a question based on the players. I don't think they'll be consistently bad, but whether they can sort of take it from being sort of middle of the pack, you know, top 30, top 40, or whether you can actually turn them into a top 25 or even a top 10 defense, I think is going to be the, the, the story of the season. I think the offense is going to ebb and flow just because there's not a whole lot of experience there. The defense is where they're going to have to be consistent. And, hey, that's kind of what we want for Florida. I mean, Florida's always been known for defense until recently. And, uh, you know, obviously the last couple of years, Florida hasn't been known for defense. But getting back to that as the identity of the Florida Gators, obviously under Spurrier, you know, you think about the fun and gun, but those teams have some really good defenses. And the shift to Stoops is one of the things that led to that national championship and led to that run there from, from, you know, 96 on. And certainly under Urban Meyer, those defenses were nasty. And so getting back to that type of football, I think, is going to be the question. And I think it's going to be more consistent on the defensive side of the ball. All right, well, so I did poll I did poll uh, Gator Nation out there on Twitter. I said the way too early rankings are out. Does Florida deserve to be ranked heading into 2022? Out of 2,400 votes, Will, 85% say no. Florida does not deserve to be ranked in these 2022 early rankings. I got a lot of feedback from you guys too. I'll probably share that later on this week here uh, on Gators breakdown. So everybody thanks there for the votes and a lot, a lot of feedback there uh, as far as that goes. So I will go out on a little bit of positive note here. Will, as far as odds go, all the odds out there, Caesar Sportsbook thinks much higher on Florida or, you know, how they'll think the public <laughs> will view Florida. But I mean, I just kind of saw here, at least in Gator nation, the public doesn't view uh, Gators chances so high. But Caesar Sportsbook, 40 to 1 odds for the Gators. That's the same as Utah, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, Texas, Oregon, Cincinnati. Those are all those schools are tied for the eighth highest odds to win the college football playoff uh, there. So, you know, there is a, a positive outlook uh, there for Florida. Uh, but, you know, odds, they are what they are. There's, how are you going to spend your money? That's all they care about. So that's, that's the angle uh, they're looking at the public there. All right. I love I love Florida. I think Florida is going to be good under Billy Napier. I think you have a gambling problem if you bet on Florida to win the national championship <laughs> next year. Um, Alabama, all the guys who were the major contributors to that team last night, they're all coming back. All of their all SEC guys were either 2019 or 2020 class. So those guys aren't, aren't draft eligible yet. So Will Anderson's coming back. Bryce Young's coming back. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of guys come back and they're going to be angry. And so <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, next year is not the year I'm going to be betting on Florida. Now, I think Florida has a legitimate chance if everything falls right and Napier does what he's supposed to do to, to really be a real competitor there in 2023. I think 2022 is about finding out what you have, right? It's about figuring out, is Anthony Richardson your quarterback who could lead you there? Who do you have from the previous recruiting classes who's going to be a contributor on a championship team? Who can you then trust from this 2022 class who comes in early? How do you build up the culture on special teams? All those sorts of things. Because last night, I'll tell you, the thing that was really telling is there were no punt returns. Because every time there was a punt, the punt team was down there like surrounding the guy who was running it back. And the amount of athleticism on those special teams, um, teams for both Alabama and Georgia was impressive. So I'm looking forward to seeing that from Florida and Billy Napier. But uh, yeah, I, look, I mean, I think it's it suggests that if you win the SEC or if you're highly competitive in the SEC, you have a shot at the playoff mm-hmm. and you have a shot at the championship. And so SEC teams are always going to have higher odds when it comes to that just because, hey, you hit lightning in a bottle. Like right last year, Michigan has a down year comes back what would we have said at the end of last year about michigan's ability right. to make it to the playoffs mm-hmm. right it would have been oh don't, don't bet you got a gambling problem if you, if you bet on michigan <laughs> but i think you're going to see michigan take a step back this year in fact i think i wrote about this earlier maybe a week or two ago that i think florida and michigan were at about the same place and michigan had a down year and kept jim harbaugh and he just had a year where he got through 
And it'll be interesting to see over the next three or four years whether essentially Mich- if, whether the only thing Michigan gets out of this is that one playoff spot or whether Harbaugh goes to the NFL after this year because he ticked off the game of pay cut after last year. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, did Florida end up fortunate to make this shift from Dan Mullen to Billy Napier and have this down year at the right time where Napier was ab- available and where Georgia was making this run so all the fans were unruly and, and all that sort of stuff where you where you get to start with a fresh slate and get to build. Um, but again, I, 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 I'm happy that Florida has those odds. I think it says something about the the perception of the program and the perception of the value that people see and sort of that variance that we were talking about earlier, right? If Anthony Richardson comes out and puts up a Heisman-worthy year, then yeah, Florida's going to be right there. I think the odds of that are relatively slight, but uh, you know that's why you're at forty to one and not you know two to one, right? So uh, I'd put your money on Bama though <laughs> if you have an opportunity <laughs> for next year. Um, this year's Bama team was a year early. They were they yeah. were young. At least one of the reasons polls were pretty much Bama number one. Well, and one of the reasons why Florida had a shot to get Alabama earlier this year is Bryce Young was not the same player against Florida in the swamp as he was last night. Like, and granted there were drops and he was missing wide receivers and he made some mistakes and all that stuff, but he was a better quarterback last night than he was that third game of the year against, against Florida. And uh, he's only going to get better this off season and they're bringing all those guys back. So, um, yeah, with the, with the caveat that every single gambling prediction that I've made this year apparently has been wrong. Um, I'd, I'd put my money on Alabama if I had the opportunity, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can just kind of fall in line years to come. Where okay, we'll just put our money on Florida. Um, but uh, you know, lot, lot, we, we got we got a path to get there. Take take to take some time to get there. But, all right, there you are. There you go. There's your early look. Your early 2022, 2022 way too early rankings out there by all those uh, sites out there. So, Will, you got anything coming up this week on Read Reaction? Yeah, so I'm going to be looking at I think Anthony Richardson and throwing the ball and and understanding um, you know what he needs to work on and what he does well thus far, and say okay, is that going to fit within Napier's offense? What Napier wants to do, and and how does how do those things meld together? Because um, he's really the key. And so, you know, one of the things that we need to look at is understanding how is he going to be able to unlock his potential with Billy Napier there in a way that he couldn't with with Dan Mullen. Now, partly because Mullen didn't let him on the field that much. But, uh, you know, you look at sort of the flashes and those flashes are great. But, you know, we've seen flashes from a lot of different guys, right? I mean, we saw flashes a couple of years ago from Diabate. We've seen flashes from Cox from time to time. The question is always consistency. Can he get that for 11 or 12 games out of the year? And what does Anthony Richardson's profile when he's coming into the game, what does that tell us about his ability to be consistent? So that's one of the things I'll be looking at this week. So we'll have that up to the site. And then I am going to do an audio read for, for that article as well. Sounds good. Will Miles, you can find it at readandreaction.com. Read and Reaction on YouTube and follow him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs>